With me today is Rabbi Moshe Goldman of the Ror Chabad Center for Jewish Life in the Waterloo Region, Ontario. And he has come to speak on Changemakers today about the father of Chabad movement, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, often just referred to as the Rebbe, who became the light and spiritual guide for tens of thousands of Jews and even political leaders. The Rebbe received the Congressional Gold Medal from the United States on, quote, outstanding and lasting contributions toward improvements in world education, morality, and acts of charity. Thank you, Rabbi Moshe, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So what impact did the Rebbe have on education particularly? Well, you know... I'll, I'll try to summarize it with a story. There, there are so many stories about the Rebbe's interaction with people and his impact on individuals. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just read this story recently. There was a fellow who had finished school and he had a degree in uh, mechanical engineering from the Technion in Israel. And he had come to the Rebbe for some of the holidays at the Jewish New Year to spend at the Rebbe's synagogue. <clears throat> And he had an opportunity to have a private meeting to consult with the Rebbe about whatever he was going through in his life. And so he mentioned to the Rebbe that he finished his degree and he's uh, looking for a job, thinking about what to do next. And he's a young guy, right, just out of school. And the Rebbe asked him, do you have a passion for mechanical engineering or is it just a job to you know, earn money and support a family? So he said, no, I don't really have a passion for it. It's just, you know, I figured it would be a good way to, to earn a living. So the Rebbe told him, from what I know about you, you have a strong feeling for education. He was involved as a, like, as a volunteer in some sort of educational work that he was doing um, back home. And so the Rebbe told him, if you don't have a passion for engineering, I think you should go into education. And that's what he ended up doing. And he ended up now, at this point, this, this story happened, I think, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, I just saw actually a video interview with this fellow, and he's been the principal of a school for, you know, 35 years, 40 years. And wow. he actually did go into education as, you know, with, with a degree in engineering, he went into education. And this was a story that repeated itself many times. The Rebbe pushing people wherever possible, if you have a talent, if you have a feel, if you care... You must teach. You need good people in education. And I think that's a good way to summarize it. Whenever they ever had a chance to have some sort of influence on guiding a person in their career choice, if there wasn't some great passion for something else and you were good at education, they always said, go into education, go teach, teach, teach. He also created a moment of silence in schools. Uh, why did he create this moment of silence? Yeah, so that was something the Rebbe spoke about at length in the early 80s. And the Rebbe was very concerned with the state of society in, at that point in the United States, but really overall. Um, and the Rebbe realized that, you know, there is a healthy separation of church and state. And this is not about overturning that. And I, I don't think the Rebbe ever advocated or believed that the government should be telling people what to believe and how to believe and all that kind of thing. But um, the Rebbe also talked that, that freedom of religion is not freedom from religion. And that every human being has beliefs, has spiritual values. You know, 
formal religion, not formal, organized, not organized. This, this is part of the human condition. And we have to have a time in school to cultivate that. And the idea the Rebbe came up with, how are we going to navigate, you know, the government issues of separation of church and state and all that big mess, and at the same time allow for children to nurture their spirituality in the school setting, the solution was a moment of silence. Start every day of the school by giving the children, you know, a minute, two minutes, whatever that period of time would be, five minutes, silent time in the classroom. Teacher doesn't tell anybody what to think. There's no propaganda. It's just quiet time to think. What are you supposed to think about? Ask your parents. You get it from your home. No one, no, the school is not involved in what is happening. The school is just going to facilitate it by giving you that time in the school setting. Meditate, think, reflect. About what? About your spiritual values, about your beliefs, about your morals. Everybody has their own. That's not the point. Point is, we as a society cannot deny that part of our humanity. We cannot squash that part of our identity. We have to allow it to, to be nurtured and to grow because that is going to have a profound impact on everything else that we do. School is not only about academics. Education is not just about transferring information. So now you know the times table, and now you can be a successful human being. To be a successful human being, you have to have spiritual value. You have to have a sense of morality. And education, first and foremost, is about developing people's character. Okay, sure, you can cross a line into propaganda, and you have to be very careful. But the solution is not zero. And so in the context of a government educational system, right, a public school system, the Rebbe's solution was, let's give kids a moment of silence every day. And this was not only in the Jewish schools? No, 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 no. The Rebbe's advocate, adv advocacy was for the public schools. That was the whole campaign. That wow. public schools should adopt a moment of silence. There are some public schools who have done it. And there are case studies. There are beautiful, beautiful case studies about the impact that this has. It is always a positive impact. Imagine if kids had time every day to reflect and meditate on their own. And, and they were given that time. And obviously, if you have that time, and, and if, if the school can somehow keep the kids from turning, it's not a recess. right? You got it. It's a moment of silence. You have to be silent. So if you can get the class to be silent and think every day, well, you know, the first week, maybe it's boring. After some time, the kids start to get good at it. And did they and notice? it has tremendous impact. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Did they notice? What was the impact that they saw in the children? Improvements in everything. Improvements in academics. Improvements in, you know, the interactions between students. Less fighting. Um, just everywhere, all across the board. I, I, don't, I don't have the study in front of me. Wow. But there were different school boards in, in various cities in the states that implemented this, and they, they really saw a difference. And the irony is that it became such a controversial issue. And like, why is this controversial? Really? Honestly, you could be the biggest civil libertarian. You know, you're waving the ACLU flag. Get the church out of the system. You can be that. And I respect that. But why is a moment of silence controversial? Let's just be quiet for a minute or two at the beginning of the day. Let's think about life. We never do that. Instead, we're, we're talking about stuff that the teachers know and the kids know isn't relevant to life. It's at best a side dish to life, if not completely irrelevant. And that's the big deal. And that's the measure of success. And that's where raising children on. Like We never give children in our educational system any, any time or space 
for developing their character and developing their, their, their spiritual values. And again, the school should not get involved in dictating those values. You get it from your home and your family. It's private, it's personal. But let's not ignore it. Let's not pretend it doesn't exist. It's an important part of being a human being. The most important. Today, uh, children and, and adults alike are not even having a second of silence. They're, when they wake up in the morning, they go and they take their cell phone from the nightstand. Really, we're, we're absorbed in other people's stories, other people's whatever they did yesterday. Instead of thinking about our own life and thinking about our yesterday, yesterday and how to make today better. Exactly. That's a great point. That's a great point. We all need a moment of silence, for sure. Yeah, we, we should make that in the home as well. 100%. And I'm sure that if a family would institute that, they would also see the positive benefits. And would you say that, that a moment of silence, like, um, is it better to actually do it together while sitting at the table? Uh, or is it something more of a personal thing? Um, I don't know. I don't know that there's any right or wrong way of doing it. I think any time a person can get some silence and time for reflection and thinking is a good thing. And you'll get better at it as time goes by. Every human being, we're all thinking anyway. We're thinking 24-7. So, you know, you're, you're already thinking. You okay. might as well do it a little bit more intentionally with a little bit more, you know, discipline and focus. It'll, it'll be good. Very simple. There, there's some debate on if we're thinking 24-7, but uh, <laughs> we'll leave that for another time. There are thoughts running through our minds yes, 24-7. Yes, yes. No, 100%. Um, so what did the rabbi do for, uh, for charity as well? Charity, the Rebbe, the Rebbe encouraged people to give beyond whatever they thought they could ever give. You know, in Judaism, we have a rule that um, you have to give 10% of your net take-home income to charity. And that's just like the baseline of the bare minimum. Um, the Rebbe talked about charity as, as being so central to, first of all, to developing your own character, also to having an impact on the world. It's the generosity that we show to people is a reflection of, of who we are. It's a reflection of our own values. And one of the best ways to become a good person and, uh, and, and, and grow as a person is by giving and, and by giving money. You know, giving money is hard. It's not natural to a human being to give money away. You want to keep it all for yourself. Um, and it has a profound impact on your character. And if you become comfortable with giving money away and starting with 10%, but growing more, um, more than 10%, then a lot of other areas in your character development benefit from that. It has a, it has a massive global impact on the entire person if they become more generous in their charitable giving. And so the Rebbe spoke about it all the time. The Rebbe said that in order to create a world that is a world of redemption, a world of Mashiach, we one of the best ways to do that is by increasing in our charity giving, increasing in our in our generosity. Um, because essentially, what you're saying when you give money away is that it's not about me, right? It's one of the most one of the most humble statements a person can make. One of the most selfless statements a person can make is to give money away, because it directly counteracts the the egotistical money grab, right? I'm not grabbing money. I'm actually giving it away. So if, if grabbing money feeds my ego, what does giving money away do? Right? Yeah, release it. Yeah. It, it releases the ego. Exactly. 
So if you want to build a world that's free of ego, teach people to give money away. And so the Rebbe always, always talked about it. And beginning in the 80s, <clears throat> the mid-80s, the Rebbe began a practice where every Sunday morning for hours and hours, he would stand outside his office. And whoever wanted to come by, just get online. There was no appointments, just stand online. I used to stand in line as a kid. It would sometimes take an hour, sometimes two hours, sometimes three hours, until you finally got to the Rebbe. And he would give you a dollar bill. And the point of the dollar bill was, first of all, it was a vehicle for you to have a moment with him. When a lot of people wanted to see him, this was just a way of giving some sort of format. Okay, how am I going to see the Rebbe? I'm going to go for dollars. I'll get a dollar. But the point of the dollar was to give it to charity. And so the Rebbe said, I'm going to, we're, we're both meeting now. The Rebbe summarized it like this. He said, I heard from my father-in-law, who was the Rebbe of Chabad before him. He said, I heard from him that when two Jews meet, something good should, should develop for a third. So what are we going to do together that can be good for somebody else? I and you will give charity together. Simple. It's simple. It's not complicated. We're not starting a whole nonprofit. We don't need a board of advisors. I'm just going to give you a dollar. We'll give it to somebody in need. And that's good enough. That's something good that came out of our meeting. And of course, we as followers and as students who love the Rebbe, we did not want to give away that dollar. So what we did was we would exchange it. And the Rebbe knew about this. The Rebbe was fine with it. He knew. He would always say, I'm going to give you a dollar. You'll give it or, or exchange it to charity. And the, the smart charity collectors would stand outside the Rebbe's synagogue on those Sundays because you had thousands of people coming out and they all had to give at least one dollar to charity. So they did very well those days. <laughs> and what, what was the, the meaning of exchange? Like you would give a dollar and you would get... Uh... I would give like another dollar. If I have a dollar in my wallet, right? Just a, a random dollar. That way I can keep the actual dollar that I got from the Rebbe. Okay. Because it just has a lot of sentimental value. So okay. I still have here in Waterloo in the safe deposit box. I have a bunch of dollars that I got and my wife, we got from the Rebbe. We, we, we're not giving them away. Yes, a hundred percent. So, um, the Rebbe he he actually escaped from the Holocaust. Perhaps this is one of the things that um, caused him to be to have charity as one of the uh, pillars of his teachings of, of giving to people in need. Um, and and uh, Rabbi Moshe, you also brought uh, Ben Stern, the Holocaust survivor, last year to Waterloo. Uh, where Ben Stern talked about always having a sandwich uh, with you when you when you go out anywhere, and that he gave that sandwich to a, a person that he saw on the street uh, who had no food. So can you tell us a little bit more about this story of, of the Rebbe and how he escaped? Yeah, so the Rebbe avoided being, being um, captured by Nazis, thank God. Um, he was living... Um, when the war broke out, I believe he was living in France. He was attending university in France and doing communal work from France. And so um, it was safe at the beginning because at the beginning of the war, you know, France was not yet involved. But eventually, in, it was 1940 or 1941, when Nazi Germany um, occupied France, then it became a bit more of a a pressing issue. And they moved to a few different cities in France, trying to stay one step ahead of the Nazis, always with an eye trying to escape Europe. And long story short, they were able to get on a boat, one of the very last boats, if not the last boat, to leave from Europe. They, they actually departed from Portugal, from Lisbon, 
And they made it to the States, and him and his wife made it to the States in June 1941. And so there's no question the Holocaust, you know, affected the Rebbe. You could say he was a Holocaust survivor, not necessarily, you know, from a concentration camp, but his brother, um, his brother was murdered by the Nazis. His uh, sister-in-law and her, her husband were murdered by the Nazis. Other relatives obviously, and friends were murdered by the Nazis, so he definitely was affected by the Holocaust. Um, but at the same time, although time-wise, you know, he took on the leadership of Chabad and, uh, you know, in, in a certain sense, the leadership of the global, the global Jewish community, because really he, he was one of the only ones, if not the only leader, who, who really looked at all the Jews around the world as his responsibility whether they liked it or not, whether they, whether they knew about it or not, he, he took interest and he cared and he made, made efforts to help everybody. Um, so the timing was post-Holocaust, but you don't really find in the Rebbe's life or in the Rebbe's teachings or in the Rebbe's worldview a sort of um, reaction to the Holocaust mode. He did not live his life as a reaction to the Nazis. Um, you know, the Rebbe, the Rebbe was very much uh, a proponent of the idea that the Torah is eternal and the teachings of the Torah and the values of the Torah and the, the practices of the Torah are, are eternally relevant. They've always been relevant. They've always been important. They always will be. And the Holocaust, as, as significant event, an event that it was, Judaism did not become important because there was a Holocaust. You know, it was important before the Holocaust, too, for other reasons. And those reasons are still here. And, and that was kind of the focus. Not to say the Rebbe ignored the Holocaust, not at all. And the Rebbe spoke about actually the moment of silence campaign. The Rebbe tied it in and he said, look, if we don't teach kids morality, anything can happen. You know, we cannot take morality for granted because you could be very civilized and highly sophisticated and commit the worst crimes against humanity. And the Rebbe used Nazi Germany as a prime example. And the Rebbe said it could happen again. If we don't learn our lesson, it could happen again. So what's the lesson? The lesson is teach kids morality. More than that, teach kids that there's an eye that sees and an ear that hears. There's, an, there's, a, there's a God and there's an objective morality. And it's not just create your own adventure. And it's not just do whatever you want. There's a right and a wrong. And if we don't teach that, then anything becomes right. In, in, in a certain context with the right excuse and justification, you can justify the worst things. So I think the Rebbe was very much aware of, of the lessons of the Holocaust, but he did not allow it to color his life in, in, in any sort of victimized way. Um, and the Rebbe was all about moving forward, all about, you know, overcoming the obstacles. You have what it takes. Um, you can't let the, the troubles that you experience define you. Um, the Rebbe had a very, very positive, optimistic view, which is even more amazing given the fact that he, you know, survived the Holocaust never had children, um, was separated from his father at a relatively young age, never saw him again because the communists um, sent him off to exile and he died in exile. He had troubles. You know, he was no stranger to real pain and real suffering. But he had a tremendous, tremendous ethos of positive forward movement, always overcoming because God is here and God is with you and you have the power and, and there's nothing that stands in the way of a person who's determined to make a big difference in the world and do the right thing. That's amazing. Uh, and, and perhaps because of all this pain that he passed through, he knew the value of happiness. He knew the value of, 
living uh, the moment to the fullest or every day um, and in every life to the fullest. I find that people who have not suffered as much, uh, even though it's it's perhaps a it could be a cynical way of looking at things, but um, people who have not suffered as much are much more depressed because they don't know what they have. Could be. I once heard a psychologist tell me that in the third world there are very few cases of depression because people are too busy trying to survive. Yes. And what did the Rebbe say about uh, atheism? Um, you know, the Rebbe was not afraid of the encounter between science and religion. The Rebbe was a scientist himself. The Rebbe had a degree in electrical engineering. The Rebbe was very well versed in, in scientific principles. He studied at the University of Berlin with the greatest scientific minds of the time. Um, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe had this very interesting paradoxical view where on one hand, you know, he was Orthodox, Rabbi, Hasidic. Um, he didn't dress like an American. His students and followers didn't dress like Americans. They dressed like Hasidim from Russia. You know, black hat, dark suit, you know. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't a worldview that was sort of ignoring science or ignoring reality of the world that we live in. And the Rebbe's attitude to atheism, I think, is, is summarized by the story of uh, um, one of the early Hasidic rabbis, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak from Berdichev, Ukraine, who lived over, over 200 years ago. is famous for telling the local atheist in Berdichev, he said to him, you know, the God that you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. Because what happens with atheists is many atheists out there have never really studied what believers believe. They have a vague idea. Um, they've never studied religious texts in depth. Um, they've never fully understood religious belief from the inside. Maybe as a journalist, maybe as a researcher, you know, you read a book about something, about something else. Like, that's not a real understanding. And what they, what they do understand is childish and foolish, and makes no sense and has no basis and so they dismiss it. And the rabbi was telling him, I dismiss that too. And when I say I believe in God, it's not that foolish idea that you're dismissing. It's something else. And I would argue that most atheists probably do believe in the same God that we believe in. Except we call it something else. Everybody has beliefs. Nobody lives without beliefs. And, um, you know, it's not a ridiculous proposition when you have reasonable grounds for a certain belief. It's not a ridiculous proposition to believe. Um, but the Rebbe didn't seek to debate atheists or, or you know, fight them off. Um, the Rebbe really believed, the Rebbe wrote a letter to a scientist once who was just beginning to explore his Judaism. Um, and, and a few years prior, this scientist had written a whole bunch of questions and he never got an answer to his questions. So he thought, ooh, you know, I stumped the rabbi. I asked him some scientific questions about religion. He didn't have what to say. And then a few years went by, and this scientist actually became a little bit more observant, a little bit more religious. And at that time, the rabbi all of a sudden sent him a letter responding to those questions he had asked a few years prior. So and at the end of that letter, the rabbi says, now that I've answered your questions, you may be wondering why I didn't answer them then. So the rabbi said, that's because my job is not to win arguments. My job is to help people learn more and come closer to the Torah and the mitzvot. And basically, the Rebbe was saying, at that time, 
I didn't think that it would be helpful to get into a back and forth about these questions. I just left it for later. Meanwhile, you developed in your, in your spiritual path. And, and now I feel it's a good time to answer those questions and move on. But in other words, we can, we, can, we can all fall prey to becoming defensive when somebody challenges our beliefs and we start to get into a real back and forth. Because I have to win the argument or else, you know, I lose. And my cause loses and it looks bad. And I never said, my job is not to win arguments. It's okay. You know, if, if you feel you won this round, that, that's really fine because I'm focused on what's good for you. And what's good for you is that you have a good experience and you learn more about Judaism about spiritual values. And with time, there will come a time when we can answer those questions and deal with those questions. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. This is kind how of, it yeah, sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't feel the anxiety and the pressure. Oh, I, I must get, I must shoot back a really clever response or else. That, that's basically Twitter, right? You got to respond quickly and really smart or else you lose and then oh, failure. That's a terrible approach. So the Rebbe had, um, you could say, perhaps a, a disciple. Um, th this disciple was was a disciple of his uh, father-in-law, the sixth uh, Lubavitcher uh, rabbi, um, by the name of Shachta Shalomi. And Shachta Shalomi was part of the Chabad, but then he... He said himself he graduated from Chabad and, and kind of went his own way. Um, and, and he talked about things such as the Jewish Renaissance and, and Jewish humanism. And he said that uh, the Torah um, should be renewed for every epoch. What was uh, the Rebbe's thoughts on, on this? I think, I think the best way I can, I can you know, respond to that is by taking a step back and exploring the, the paradox of Judaism, the way the Rebbe lived it and the way the Rebbe taught it. The paradox of Judaism is that we're trying to unite two opposites. The two opposites are simply heaven and earth. We're trying to, to combine spirituality while living in the physical world. Or in more abstract terms, we're trying to combine um, the infinite with the finite. That's really the paradox of Judaism. The challenge of the Torah is to live in such a way. One of the easier ways of resolving that, that paradox is to choose an extreme. And you just live in one extreme. <clears throat> so one extreme you can live in <clears throat> excuse me, is living only in the finite, living only in the physical. So you live a life which is really not informed by spiritual values. You just live a life of survival, of protecting yourself, protecting your honor, protecting your position, making sure that you have all the goodies, and then supposedly you die happy. Uh, there's another approach, which is the other extreme, living a completely spiritual life, where you disavow any interest in material possessions, and you live on the proverbial mountaintop far away from people, and you meditate all day, and you talk to God, and you sing, and it's pure spirituality. And in Judaism, we're trying to combine the both, both of them together in a, in a healthy combination where one flows into the other. And ultimately, of course, the, the heavenly dominates the earthly, the spiritual dominates the physical, and provides guidance 
and the physical is deployed towards spiritual ends, spiritual goals. And part of that in, in, in the Jewish worldview is that we have many, many rules, many, many laws about how we are supposed to conduct our lives in the physical realm. The way I see it is that he chose an easier extreme. And in the Rebbe's view, and which is the classic traditional Jewish view, is that um, we're really trying to walk that tightrope between those two extremes and bring them together. And to do that, you have to have one foot in each world. And I think that was, that was the difference. And I, honestly, I don't think he would argue with that characterization. Rabbi Moshe, this was uh, fascinating uh, to, to speak about the paradoxes uh, in Judaism and uh, the Rebbe and all the work he did for charity and uh, the public education system. I really thank you for being a part of Changemakers. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to CFUZ Peach City Radio in Penticton, B.C. Thank you for lending your ears. I'm your host, Mai Cooper.